Hey, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another one-on-one at DMN. And we've got some very interesting issues to explore today relating to data privacy and blockchain. And my guest is Neil Sweeney, who's founder and CEO of Freckle IoT. Welcome, Neil. Thank you very much for having me. And I gather you're in town in New York. You're here very regularly, but there was a blockchain event which you attended this week. Yes, yesterday um, the IAB had its uh, a little blockchain summit. Um, there was about a, a dozen companies there talking about how their solutions were going to um, solve some of the challenges specifically in the uh, advertising and marketing space. Now, the context I wanted to approach this from is uh, data privacy. We had, um, you're partly based in Toronto, so you're familiar with CASEL, the Canadian privacy legislation. The big news this year, of course, has been GDPR, which comes out of the European Union but has potential impact on any companies marketing into Europe. And then suddenly we had, I think almost unexpectedly, CCPA coming out of California, which is fairly stringent privacy legislation. Uh, and one can only anticipate that some other states are going to look at that and say we should be doing the same thing. So there's a huge move towards giving consumers power to protect their data. And that, I know across the board, has raised interesting questions about maybe consumers should own their data, maybe they should be able to sell it, maybe they, they should be rewarded from it. What's your perception of this environment we're moving into and its implications? Uh, well, there's a lot to it. Uh, I would say, first and foremost, is uh, the privacy genie is out of the bottle uh, and it's never going back in. I think uh, those... Uh, those GDPR, the California privacy law, etc. Those are just the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see um, those manifest themselves in every state, every province, every country around the world. And I think that supports the idea about privacy is not going away. Increasingly, it's going to become increasingly more stringent. I do feel that the government does feel it is their obligation to protect the consumer. I do feel that the government sometimes feels it, it almost needs to protect the consumer from themselves. Um, One thing that is pretty clear is that most consumers have no real understanding of how their data is being used or the overall value of that data. And I think the government has drawn a line in the sand there to say, you can't continue to sort of, you can't continue to abuse this. Um, We need to put some regulation in place. And then there's a long history of some of the larger companies taking advantage of these data, um, these data, uh, the data that they're actually getting access to. The most obvious being when Facebook bought WhatsApp, they promised not to combine the data sources. Lo and behold, they combine the data sources, they get slapped with a fine, but the overall value of that data is worth a lot more than the fine so that you can continue on. Um, So I think that the government is always going to hold, is going to have an increasingly uh, larger role in it. Um, I would say that there's a couple of other trends that are taking place at around the same time. Um, When we look at 2017 versus the year before, you're seeing a 50% increase in the number of data breaches that are taking place um, just in the United States. Every week, there's a net new one, and I don't think that that's anyone's fault. The reality is is that data is valuable, and the more private and personal the data, uh, the more valuable it is. And so there needs to be um, more security involved in um, how people are actually storing data as well. So blockchain is one of these uh, protocols that have the ability to actually help the government in what it's trying to do, um, help that security issue, uh, and also indirectly sort of indirectly help the consumer as well. I I do believe that the future of where how data is going to be stored is going to be 
dominated by the consumer. I don't believe in the analogy that I use or the image that I use is, is that if you drew 10 circles on a piece of paper and you put the names of a corporation that you had an account with, whether that's JP Morgan or mm -hmm. Chase or Facebook, et cetera, there's a record of your data that's being held by those individual institutions. In the future, if you draw one big bubble and you put yourself in that, um, that's where I think the data is going to be housed. And I think that you will have a, a partitioning and a licensing from that central set. Mm -hmm. That central set will be the blockchain. Uh, it is protected by a private key. There is encryption associated to that. And that means that you don't have a whole bunch of leakage uh, and you do have better visibility as to how it's going to work. So privacy is going to change a lot of things. And as a result of that, it's going to have a pretty dramatic impact on virtually all business that uh, we know today. That sounds very attractive. And I do remember when I first read about GDPR, however many months ago it was, I said to myself, well, if blockchain was ubiquitous, you'd hardly need GDPR. But I think we should take a step back, and for some of the listeners, blockchain is a word you see every day. Just, like, not the soup-to-nuts version, but would you encapsulate what blockchain means to you in this context? Yeah, I, I mean, I think you can have a long uh, conversation specifically about the, what the blockchain is. Um, yeah, I think in our particular case, the way we use the blockchain is we use it as a record. So it allows us to write a specific contract between individuals and have it on a record. And so it's mutable, so you can't change it. The best way to explain it to an individual who is not familiar with it, again, without getting into the nuances of it, I say it's kind of like a combination of versioning software and BitTorrent together. So okay. people are familiar with BitTorrent. You take a concept, you break it up into a million pieces, it comes back together on the other side. Mm -hmm. And then people are, com are familiar with versioning or, or Google Documents where you can go back and see all the changes before it. Right. Put those two things together, it's distributed like BitTorrent, and it's actually, there's versioning associated to it. And so why is that important? Well, it removes a lot of excess that's in the market as it exists today. So the concept of these, these various different middlemen that put the buyer and seller closer together, you don't need them anymore. Um, you can actually do a direct integration or a direct um, uh, a direct contract between those two parties, thereby removing the middlemen. That's a really important piece because yeah. it's what drives the efficiency associated to it. And then there's the audit or the honesty associated to it. So nobody can renege. Nobody can say that, well, I didn't say this or I didn't agree to that. And so it's all uh, written down. There's an entire record associated to that. And that's a really important piece. Um, for making sure that it stays, that everything stays valid. And the next step seems to be, okay, you, you're having a, a direct contract, a transaction between the buyer and the seller, whatever it be, your product, service, whatever. Uh, now, the the seller who likes to collect customer data isn't going to be saying, that's okay, we'll take your data and we'll put it somewhere in a blockchain and it'll all be fine. There needs to be something between the buyer and the seller to make sure the data gets into the blockchain. How, do, how does that work? See, I didn't yeah, sorry, I was phrasing that badly. Um, but you have the buyer and you have the seller. The seller would like to collect the data and keep it themselves. What is it, what mechanism is there to make sure that the, when you have that direct contract, that the data goes into the blockchain and isn't just collected by the, the seller as well, the Well, it's the transaction that is being recorded on the blockchain. It's right. not so much the data that's being recorded on the blockchain. Um, in our particular product, what we work with is that we actually allow the data to stay specifically at the handset level. Uh -huh. um, that's not on the blockchain. 
what's written to the blockchain is the transaction between those two parties. So think of it as a signature um, and all the terms and conditions associated to that contract. Um, that is what's written to the blockchain. The actual movement of data can be moved in a variety of different ways. This is an important piece, especially as it pertains specifically to the advertising industry. One of the things that we've noticed a lot is that people will come up with concepts around the blockchain, but there is a requirement that anybody that's then participating needs to change all of their architecture and all of their systems. That creates a lot of friction in a business and ultimately is going to lead to a lot of failures. So you have to be able to fit into some of the pre-existing businesses as they exist to today, because if you don't, you're not going to scale. So in our particular case, we have the ability to, um, if, if a company is using data from which to decision from, we're still giving them the same type of data. The difference there is that this data has an audit trail associated to it and is compliant because it has the opt-in specifically from the consumer, and it has that contract that is immutable and so that they can read. I see. So um, the consumer will know which company has got their data and what they're doing with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is really an interesting piece, and you made reference to California in 220. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where the whole world is going. Um, this notion of making sure that you have uh, consent, that you have um, the right to be forgotten, that you're telling the consumer how that data is being used. Again, in our particular product, um, when your data is purchased, and so it's really up to you to decide which pieces of data you would like to um, add to your profile and which pieces of data you would like to share and or sell. You can toggle those on and off as you so choose. Um, but when you do sell your phone identifier or your email address in your activity history, um, there is a record of it. In the same way that if you went into your bank account today, you could see that that $2 that you spent at Starbucks got you a coffee. Well, in this case, it would be that $0.50 cents was uh, based on um, your mobile identifier, and it was bought by McDonald's. That's a never-been-done-before thing, and yeah. I think that that is really foundational for where the industry as a whole is going to go. Now, a lot of people listening will, will have sat up and started paying attention because they heard there that they're going to get paid for their data. So how are you enabling <laughs> that as a possibility? Well, I mean, I think everybody does sit up when they hear that because it's pretty primal. Uh, I think that um, there is clearly a pre-existing habit amongst consumers today for redeeming coupons, loyalty vouchers, etc. So there is a pre-existing habit where people are looking for discounts and rewards. Um, I think it's really important about our particular application is that we're paying the individual in cash. We're not paying them in cryptocurrency. Um, cryptocurrency, that's a kind of a different podcast, which you know we could talk about, but sure. this the utility of cash is really important. So if you make $5, you can go to Trader Joe's or wherever and actually use that money. Um, from the, the, um, from the, monet, the monetization point of view, the way we looked at it is sort of twofold. So first and foremost, it's really about inserting yourself into the value proposition or into the conversation so that you can participate should you choose to. Um, If you fast forward and everybody does this, then that would fundamentally change the way data was being bought and sold. So we do say that this is first and foremost about you as a consumer inserting yourself into the conversation and taking back control of your identity. As a byproduct of that, should you actually choose to actually enter into a contract to sell specific components of of your data, you can do so. Um, Every time your data is purchased uh, by a brand, you are paid. So it's not a one-time fee where you get $5 and then your data can be used a thousand times. That's an old trick that um, is a bit played out. In this particular case, um, every purchase that actually takes place is a separate contract. 
um, there's the full log associated to that, and that money is moved into is moved into your account. Um, part of the question might be, um, well, why are you doing it this way? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is that from a consumer perspective, your data is already being sold. Whether you insert yourself into this Killy application or not, um, your data is being sold. So everything from an email address to a mobile identifier to uh, age, gender, etc., all of the biggest platforms in the world are actually using that data. You're just not involved. Um, secondly, as a consequence of selling the, that data, um, the reality is, is that this is how companies are making money. And so if you actually look at the 5,000 or 10,000 companies that are operating in the advertising and marketing ecosystem, there's billions, billions and billions of dollars being made here off of the consumer. So the consumer is basically providing an open-ended, perpetual uh, identity for these individual companies. And I think everybody subscribes to the idea that platforms are not free to make and that there has to be some exchange of value. You can't get everything for free. Yeah. It starts to ring a bit hollow, though, when you look at some of the larger companies. And the one, and this is not to pick on Facebook, but like the one that uh, is the most obvious is that you look at a company like Facebook, which has 2.2 billion users. They do $100 billion in top-line revenue. Um, they make $40 billion net every year. Um, if you're a North American and you're inside of that platform, you're worth $30 a month, growing at an annual rate of 35% a year. At some point or another, that's going to pop. And when you take that concept and you multiply it against the you know thousands of other firms that are clearly not as big as Facebook but are actually using data in the same way, it's not hard to get to this notion that you know you as a consumer, your identity might be worth anywhere from $40 to $200. What I find really interesting about that is a couple things. One, in the US, in the US student debt, I think, just hit $1.8 trillion. So people are struggling to pay bills, but yet behind this plate of glass is a $200 honeypot of money that was derived from their identity that they can't get access to to pay their debt, right. but yet... Mark Zuckerberg and others can use it to actually pay out bonuses. If the consumer gets wise to that, things are going to blow up. And so that's kind of the first piece of the equation. The second part is that we do believe um, longer term in the notion of the consumer taking back control of their identity. We don't really think that there's a lot of tools in the market to allow that to happen today. Um, the notion of we don't like the way in which our data is being used, uh, hashtag delete Facebook. That's not realistic because the suggestion there is it's an either-or type proposition. Mm. If you don't like it, unplug. And if you're willing to forgo all your privacy, feel free to continue. I just don't subscribe to this idea that um, with all the engineering talent, AI, ML, etc., yes. that we can't find a compromise between um, being able to participate in digital platforms without foregoing all of our identity. First and foremost is that there needs to be tools built to do that. And I think what we've tried to set out to do is to start to build those tools to first put the consumer in charge of their own identity, insert them into the conversation, and then build around that. This is um, it's really interesting. The app you're talking about, the Killy app, which you've launched, I'll, I'll add a link to it so people can explore it when they're listening to this. Um, a skeptical question occurs to me. Maybe it's a dumb question, but I mean, as you indicate, the Facebooks and the Googles of this world, they're not there to give away money, to just generously give back money to people. What's to stop them saying, if there's something like the Killy app, through which people can perform transactions, why don't we just say we're not accepting those transactions and we'll carry on the way we've been going and just carry on gathering this data and, and, and 
keeping it to ourselves? Well, so a couple of things. So Killy does not alter um, the terms and conditions of Facebook. So if you log into Facebook, you're um, conforming to the terms and conditions of those platforms. It has no impact on Killy. Same thing if you launch a browser. Mm -hmm. um, your data is leaking. Um, we went through this methodology and this thinking um, quite diligently, thinking about, well, what's the best method of, of how to attack this? And we felt that first we needed to create an application where we could allow consumers to actually add data and then enter into these contracts. As the application and the community itself types, starts to scale, it indirectly will put pressure on individual companies to yeah. say, well, hang on a second. You know, here's this community of millions of individuals who who understand that there's value associated to their data, and they're actually now being paid for it. Well, a lot of these bigger platforms um, have a lot of people in them with a very activist-driven voice, and they have a blank canvas from which to communicate that. Mm -hmm. um, we're hoping that a lot of those individuals that are in those platforms will become killer users, and they realize, wait a minute, everybody else is paying me except this platform. We think that that is a much more... Um, constructive way to 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 um, cooperate with those larger platforms that's the idea so important to 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 note that a browser or a walled garden like facebook they will continue to operate um, what we've created is a, a third pillar and as we grow that pillar um, we will begin to merge or cross over into those other worlds so uh, at least two points of appeal for for potential users control over the data, and also, hey, maybe a check. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the control of the data and the check, and I think what's also really important, and maybe not as important to the consumer today, but will be important in years to come, this is most likely their first exposure to the blockchain, Yes. Um, which I think is really important. Again, because if you believe in this idea that uh, identity or data is not going to be in, it's not going to be stored in a centralized manner, but is actually going to be distributed but controlled by the individual consumer, the question then is, well, how do you get the everyday consumer onto the blockchain? Because if you talk to anybody about the blockchain, most people don't understand the nuances of it, which makes it almost virtually impossible to scale. So the byproduct of Killy, which we're quite excited about, is that everybody who understands the value proposition of like your identity or your data is worth some money and should you participate, you can enter into these contracts. Every person that downloads the application is one net new person on the blockchain. And I think where um, what it's similar to is me putting you on the blockchain for the first time is, the, is equivalent to you getting your first email address 25 to 30 right. years ago. Yeah. So this is your first private key. Um, as the ecosystem of the blockchain continues to scale and continues to grow, um, this concept of every business in the blockchain needs identity. No business in the blockchain can scale if people are not on the blockchain. The only way the entire blockchain ecosystem can scale is if somebody creates an application or a program that brings the everyday consumer to the blockchain. If the everyday consumer comes to the blockchain, everybody in the blockchain ecosystem benefits yeah. because now they can actually add those 10 million people who are inside of the Killy application to support their business which has been built on top of the blockchain. So longer term there is a, an immediate value for the consumer but there is a longer term ecosystem play um, that we're working on. And that seems to me to be fundamental because I think up to now and still the blockchain is perceived by a lot of people as being something for cryptocurrency traders and it needs to be for a much broader public than that. Yeah, well, I would say that the blockchain community hasn't done themselves many favors with that, yeah. so um, that one's on them. 
um, the blockchain uh, ecosystem has a tendency to turn into a glorified science fair, uh, <laughs> which lacks a lot of simple business models associated yeah. to it. Um, and I think that you know the crypto and tokens and ICOs or initial coin offerings, which were um, very popular at the end of the year, I think they've done a lot to actually confuse the everyday consumer. Yeah. Um, so you're right. I think the everyday consumer um, does believe that it's incredibly complicated, but technology needs to sort of disappear in order for it to scale. I mean, that's the cliche. And so what you shouldn't be talking about or what businesses shouldn't be talking about is this product works on the blockchain. No, that's not how business works. Business works on this product solves this problem. How it solves that problem is somewhat irrelevant. Um, does it make it more efficient? Does it make it more consistent? Does it allow it to scale and move faster? Does it bring more value to you as a consumer? Any business, whether it's on the blockchain or anywhere else, has to conform to those things in order for it to be successful. Unfortunately, in the blockchain community, they often force the blockchain to the top of the conversation, which almost, by, co by, by doing so, they're, they're almost making it impossible for that concept and that business to scale. What you'll notice with our product is that we don't really talk a lot about the blockchain. Um, what we're talking about is the problems that we're solving, security, trust, value proposition. These are all things that are relevant and can and any everyday consumer can actually understand. Yes, we, we do talk about the blockchain, but it is it comes secondary to the problems that we think that we're solving. Okay, and that makes it all, believe me, a lot easier for people to understand. So I appreciate this and a really good glimpse into the future. Thank you, Neil. You're welcome.